Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Enterprise Linux Security. We are up to episode seven, which is technically eight because we started at zero. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're going to call this episode seven because zero was episode zero. So um, I'm here with Zhao as usual, and I'm also <coughs> here with Jack. How you doing? Hey, Jay. Hey, Joao. Hey, how are you? Hey, Jack. Doing pretty hey, good. Hey, everybody. So a common thread on this podcast is distribution migrations and how difficult they are, how it impacts security. Because if you're staying on legacy software, um, I mean, that's a real security issue. And at some point you won't get any security updates, but even then um, I'm not sure that the quality of the security updates when a distribution gets super old anyway, is going to be all the, all that great. But at the same time, um, companies out there, they stay on distributions for a very long time, um, probably a lot longer than they should. And I think part of the reason for that is that it's a really challenging thing to do. It's almost like trying to pull a tablecloth from the table without disrupting the dishes on top. Um, and you're just hoping nothing breaks, but often something does and it's just a chaotic um, experience. And Jack is here to talk about Elevate, which is going to take some of these rough edges, actually probably all the rough edges, depending on what you're migrating to, because it's a tool that aims to make this actually not a horrible process yes correct yeah uh i uh it's it's trying to make this as painless as possible not to say that it's totally painless but it's trying to make the process a lot more sane than uh what was possible before yeah and um there's so many distribution differences i mean Run levels can be different. Um, package names are almost always different. You have some that are capital, some that are lowercase, some that require libraries that are split, and then you know maybe on another distribution there's not as many, or maybe some are combined. Um, and the problem here is that it's just so hard to move. And I need to kind of give a disclaimer here. I don't care how great the tool is um, out there or whatever the tool is, you have to back up. You have to take snapshots before you start this. The last thing you want to do is just migrate a distro, you know, without a backup. I feel like I shouldn't have to tell anyone that, but it yeah. goes without saying, you know, things can happen. But once you have a snapshot of your server and you've tested your backup and it's time to migrate, then um, what I think Jack is going to propose with Elevate might just be up someone's alley out there. Yeah, yeah and, and listen, I think it goes without saying that we still need to remind everyone to yeah. make sure you back up and take snapshots, you know, system changes, uh, system-wide changes, OS and tinkering, them. let's say, uh, is, is you know, not for the faint of heart. Let's put it that way. This certainly makes mm -hmm. it a lot easier, but I mean, you know, let, let's... Let's use best practices, you know. I mean, it's almost Halloween. We don't we don't want any more horror stories. Right. Um, <laughs> so so yeah. let's uh, let's make sure that uh, you know everyone out there, make sure that you're following best practices. You know, back your stuff up. Yeah. Let's do this the right way. Um, um, you'll, you'll you'll have a, a great uh, a great procedure, and it'll be a great experience when you actually see your system migrated. But you know, let's let's be smart about this. Yeah, yep. uh, we actually have a running gag here on the the podcast about not calling it best practices and just calling it yeah. whatever actually fits your workload and <laughs> we the don't best for you. you. We try to yeah. avoid we try to avoid best practices because best practices imply that it applies everywhere the same for yes. everyone. There are always differences on your infrastructure from somebody right. else's yep. and what fits one might not fit exactly the other one and then you're left wondering why the hell didn't this work as intended um, yeah i, I think yeah, one of the reasons well oh, i'm sorry uh, let me let me just uh, finish this uh, totally do the backups and test the backups the worst thing that you want to do is think that you have your backup ready to go yes. and a problem having a problem and then oops the backup doesn't restore for some weird reason or another do test yeah. it that's part of the backup procedure Right. And I think um, just for some um, context around the best practices thing for anyone that hasn't heard us talk about it before, um, there seems to be this confusion in the industry. And I think it's because, you know, we, you know, obviously no, not everybody at a company is a technical wizard. You have your IT staff and you, you have other people in your company. And best practice seems to imply that it is the best thing to do. But the problem is, 
when a company hires a security auditor or something like that, and they seem to have this incorrect notion that this, this amazing person that they're hiring can make them hack-proof. And then, you know, they get audited and all this thing, all these things. And then what ends up happening is they, you know, something bad happens and, and they get upset at the person that's responsible for security. But um, I think part of that is we call it a best practice, as if that implies that if you do these things, then you'll be fine. There's no worries. There's no security problems. But I think the message we really want to get out there is that security is like an onion. There's different layers. And um, yeah, absolutely, that's that's the thing. So we don't I don't know if we have a tried and true term to use instead of best practice. Yeah. Maybe somebody could write in and let us know what we should use instead. But I just want to try to change that. And um, getting back onto the point, though. So we have Elevate from Alma Linux. And even though it's from Alma Linux, it's not specific to Alma Linux, which I think is probably the cool thing about it. But before we get into that, we should uh, give everyone an elevator pitch of what Elevate uh, intends to do. What's the goal that it wants to solve? Yeah, so Elevate is a project which lets you elevate your distro. Mm -hmm. And by Elevate, uh, the E-L are both capital there, implying this is for the enterprise Linux family of distributions. So that is uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux uh, derivatives. Um, so that's, you know, that, that's what we're uh, talking about here. And then the project itself is comprised of a couple of pieces. So the first piece is the tool which is used to do the migrations. And that is actually based on uh, a tool and framework that Red Hat has, uh, that they were the initial um, developers on, they're still the primary developers on it, um, and that's called Leap. And uh, what Leap lets you do is do similar in-place migrations, but for Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And now uh, another part of that is that those upgrades require certain metadata, which Red Hat provides under uh, a subscription license. So it's not something that's, the tool itself is open source. The metadata is not open source. And what that lets you do is, so like you were mentioning before, Jay, basically between different distributions, there's uh, a list of primitives that can apply to kind of uh, the life of a package. So between two distributions, uh, a package could have been removed. It could have been added. It could have been split. Um, and a bunch of other things that, that can take place there. So what this met metadata does is it basically describes the evolution of a package between the different distributions. So mm -hmm. I can say that in, you know, CentOS 7, whatever package existed. And then when I want to go from seven to eight, that package no longer exists. And then I need to define how that's going to be handled. So the first part of the, of elevate is the tool. And the second part is something really cool, which we put together, which is called the package evolution service. And what the package evolution service lets you do is it lets anyone um, whether that be a uh, maintainer, whether that be, you know, just uh, someone doing a migration, whether that's an application vendor, um, anyone can contribute metadata about any package to this library via the package evolution service. So we've basically rebuilt like a core functionality data set um, that's available and then this is going to be dynamic because it can always be added to, it can always be enhanced um, thanks to contributions from people um, in the community, which is what this is all about. And then what we actually had to do was then we had to go back and submit patches to Leap in order to make it uh, uh, feasible and workable on other distributions. So the core Leap tool was only for Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Uh, we added support for CentOS there. And then of course, the ability to go from there to other distributions. So um, at, the, at the the initial thinking of Red Hat was, you know, go from RHEL, whatever version to the next version. 
And so uh, we kind of opened up the door a little bit to make it go from uh, CentOS to whatever other, you know, enterprise Linux variant you want to go to. And um, just to, to emphasize a point that may be lost on someone that's new to this, until a few distro, uh, until a few, a few versions ago, even the the standard policy around CentOS when you wanted to upgrade from one version to the next was to do a complete wipe and reinstall, and then get back everything reconfigured and get all the data back into the system. So there wasn't a, an easy upgrade upgrade tool or some process to move from one version to another other than a complete reinstallation. And that's a blocker. That's a huge blocker if you have a, a fleet of thousands of servers and you have to, to prepare that and you have to wipe them and reinstall them. And where are you going to put the data in the meantime? And how are you going to store all the configurations yeah. and get everything back together and make sure that nothing broke in the process because you're the one doing it. So no one is going to ensure that for you. So you'll have to manually go and check if all the systems are coming back up again and all the services are up and working and there's no incompatibility somewhere. So a tool that automates this process, this is really, really good. It really is. It's just amazing that this is even possible because I've always seen a distribution migration to be a challenge. I mean, even going from you know version X to version Y of the same distro to the same distro can be a challenge. Yes. But then when you're going from... You know, even though they're Red Hat based or Red Hat family, enterprise family distributions going from one different member of that family to another member of that family is also really, really hard. And it, it's one of those things I think most people just don't even try to tackle. They're like, yeah, that's too much. I'm just going to wipe it and reload it. That doesn't mean that it's not possible to do this. And obviously, since Elevate exists, it's definitely possible. But that's not the mindset that the majority of the people have because of um, how... They've been, you know, in the trenches fighting this war and, you know, they're kind of hardened about this and um, they, they, they're they seasoned to do it a certain kind of way. They don't think, oh, is there a better way to do this? There probably is, but I have like a bunch of these servers to manage and I don't really have time to develop that way. Yeah. And um, now the community is taking control. And, and yeah. that's actually, just a second, Jack, sorry. Um, that's actually a very good point because at some point in the past couple of years or five years or 10 years or something like that, people started looking at servers like they are disposable. Uh, right. We started having containers and yeah. Kubernetes in the cloud. So uh, server is not that thing that you tweak to perfection and that you just install another package and get everything ready. Now you just fire one up. If it's no longer useful, you take it down, you wipe it, you fire up a new version. This lets you actually look at things uh, in in a different context, in a different light, you can actually have a, a longer lifetime, a longer expected lifetime for your servers. You you don't have to look at them like cattle. You can actually start to look at them again as actual useful individual servers. And having had that experience in the past and having worked for quite a while as a sysadmin and having the experience of individual servers and actually caring for them, if that's even possible, um, I find it uh, very interesting that there is now a possibility and an avenue to actually go back and look at servers again like that. Yeah, I think that's a very good point too. Um, you know, a, uh, a lot these days has become sort of disposable and yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm guilty of it too. But, you know, depending on, on um, how you provision your applications... Uh, this uh, allows you to do a lot that, you know, previously you would just kind of throw everything away. And uh, now it, it makes it a little bit more uh, permanent. Let's put yeah. it that way. And, and don't get me wrong. There are place for, there's a place for both approaches and there are places where it's oh, useful to actually recycle servers yeah, like that. Absolutely. But yeah. for other situations when you were just shoehorning a solution like a container or something for a complex stack of software or something like that, that you couldn't uh, properly do in a containerized way or in a disposable way, this brings up a lot of other options to the table. You can now prepare one in a version and know that you can carry it on forward towards yeah. other other versions if you have to. Another another thing too um, to kind of piggyback off of the the cattle reference, um, yeah, I agree absolutely. Containers helped uh, propagate that mentality. But another one is AWS, Amazon Web Services, yeah. is another um, 
company that kind of made this the thing because um, I was actually taken aback by this when I first started with AWS, which I think was 2016 or something, somewhere around there, where the best practice is exactly that. Think of your servers like cattle. And then um, to add insult to injury, you know, you have a server, it's configured, everything's fine. You get this email um, from them that says your server has, or no, we've encountered a hardware issue. We're going to be deleting your server in a week. Oh, what? You're going to be deleting? Yeah. No, yeah. don't do that. Now, of course, the solution for and anyone who knows AWS probably knows this. You shut it down. You start it back up. It'll be moved to hardware that doesn't have an issue and you can avoid that. But um, what if you didn't get that email? You know, what if that email was buried down um, in your inbox? And the problem is that um, Amazon makes this a best practice. But the issue there, I know this is a side topic, so I'll try to keep it shorter. The issue is that not every application can behave in that model. So if you have an auto-scaling situation where you have like one server, and then if the load picks up, it's going to add another and another and another. And when the load dies down, it's going to start deleting servers. Um, And each one server can go away and it's no problem because it'll just like auto-heal and bring up another one. That's great. But... Some applications just don't know how to handle that. You have to basically hack and rewire things to make it work. It's just so convoluted. But um, I think that's part of the reason why we have this mentality. But to get it back to this subject a little bit closer here, um, I think like it's a really great thing if you have your automation at your company in such a way that you could delete a server and you could just run your Ansible or your Chef or your Puppet scripts and it just rebuilds everything. And you could have your packages in there as variables. So if it's um, a different package name on CentOS versus on Linux, you can just make it a variable. Um, and that's all well and good. But the reality of the situation, unfortunately, is um, quite a few companies, if not the majority, set up their infrastructure before the automation movement. And to go back and redo all that is really hard. So for them, it's difficult to move from one distribution to another because they don't have it automated. And now they have a tool like Elevate that can go in there and try to remove some of that burden from them and maybe even get them their weekends back. Yeah, yeah that's that's the hope. <laughs> to, to help people essentially save time and also make sure that they're not running into any risks um, of security issues, which is yep. another you know, big reason for uh, uh, migrating. And, you know, we've seen uh, so far, I mean, you know, we, we announced the project a couple of weeks ago and a lot of uh, a lot of people showed up that had, you know, fleets of servers. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about hundreds of servers. And, you know, for them, the, the security component was very important because, they want to make sure that, you know, when the time comes and they need to move, that they're able to move all that stuff because it's not feasible for them to reprovision everything from scratch, whether that's because, you know, they're not set up for automation or whether those fleets of servers are shared amongst customers. And, you know, you can't, you just can't take your customers down, uh, uh, you know, to, to do, to reinstall the OS. And then reprovisioning basically requires you to have, a whole nother set of hardware that you can bring up the new stuff on before you take the old stuff down um, so that you have somewhere to migrate everyone to in the interim. So just tell your customers to hold uh, hold their horses right. a bit and they'll come right, back. Anyway. Right, right. The service will be yeah. down this weekend due to yeah. migration. Imagine if Amazon pulled that. <laughs> Oh, gosh, that would be something. You know, it's amazing how much truth you speak here, because um, as someone who's been working in the industry for like, what, 20 years or something, I lost count now. um, I mean, this this was life. This is how it works. We we, we worry about this stuff. We, We get anxious thinking about these huge projects and how much of our personal time is going to be wasted, not wasted, but, you know, used up by this. And this is a really big deal. Um, Now, another thing to keep in mind, too, is that CentOS 7 is supported for a while longer. CentOS 8 is not. And we were talking off camera before we started. It is kind of ironic that um, this is the one time where the people that procrastinated, you know, didn't move to CentOS 8 are probably (laughs) happy that they didn't move to CentOS 8. But even better, um, distributions like Alma Linux 8, Rocky Linux 8, um, Oracle 8, those are eight series, you know, of the family, 
but you can move to eight now. That That's the takeaway here. You yes. don't have to stay on seven forever. Um, before, the only option was to go from seven or CentOS 7 to CentOS 8. Now you can go from CentOS 7, Alma Linux 8, Rocky Linux 8, you know, Oracle Enterprise Linux. I mean, you you have options and those are supported. So you're able to, I mean, you could move to CentOS 8 if you wanted to, but I think the, the in my opinion, the big use case here is to go to an 8 version that will be supported and not have to worry about the, you know, pulling the plug on you at the end of the day. So that's yeah. going to be a great benefit. If yeah, you're absolutely. Seven, if you're in 7 and you move to CentOS 8, that's a dead end anyway. So you'll have to migrate twice. So Right. <laughs> you'll, have, you'll have to move twice in the next two months. Yeah. Yes. I almost think like we should put like billboard ads up, you know, everywhere to make sure people know you don't don't move to eight CentOS eight. You don't have to. There's a better way. Don't do that other upgrade step. Don't step through and you know upgrade. Well, you know, it's I, that's actually uh, interesting because there was discussion amongst um, a few people on the CentOS list on you know how do we handle the end of life because uh, obviously on the day of you know, uh, the website will stop advertising it as being available. Mm -hmm. But then what do you do for the people who, you know, on December 25th and 26th, when they're sitting at home and decide, hey, I want to play with something and then download CentOS 8 and then install it. And then, you know, two, three days, four days later, um, they're not getting any security updates anymore. So right. uh, that's, that's uh, you know, that's that's part of this too. And it's it's actually you know I mean we yeah we had to re reward the procrastinators Jay so that <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah I wonder if the situation will ever happen again where where yes. um, you know that'll be the case that people that um, did not upgrade in a timely fashion are like yes I made the right decision I don't know <laughs> if, if that'll ever if happen your, again if your parents told you crime doesn't pay this is a shining oh, yeah. example of just how wrong they were. So what's stopping this then, this this tool with the metadata and the service that it has from one day supporting Debian? Would that is that way too um, off kilter for this? Or is that maybe a possibility of the community um, put enough work into it that it could actually be Debian to, to Alma Linux or Alma Linux to Ubuntu? Or is that even a possibility? I, listen, I mean, I, I believe in the power of community. And if they wanted to do it, I'm sure we can probably figure something out but uh, i mean it's it's kind of out of scope for it right now um only because that would require a massive re-architecting of sort right. of the core um uh, uh really the core architecture of how how uh the leap tool works and you know if 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 there were a group of people that came along and decided that hey we're going to do it then I'm sure we would support it. Um, I wouldn't try to hold anyone back from doing it. But whether someone is crazy enough and has enough time on their hands to do uh, is, is a different story. But hey, you know, if, if you're up for it, come see me. Uh, we'll, we'll try to make it happen. Well, Debian, Debian might be a completely different architecture and everything mm -hmm. might be differently named and all that. But there are other distributions that were that were that run into a dead end. Um, for example, Scientific Linux, and there are still users locked there, and they don't have yeah. a pass forward. So yeah. that might be a good candidate for for this tool. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Abs absolutely, yeah. And uh, we've reached out to a few people uh, in the scientific community to see if there was, you know, number one, any interest in the tool and number two, any interest in mm -hmm. collaborating to make sure that, that you know, scientific uh, gets support there. Yeah. I, don't, I don't recall. Was there a eight version of scientific Linux? Did that come out? There was not. No, there was yeah. not. So it was just, so it was before that would have happened then, I guess. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's probably why they didn't step forward as an alternative when CentOS uh, 8 changes were announced and uh, they left the play field open um, because, again, they already had the distribution. They might have just stepped forward like Alma Linux and Rocky did and Oracle, uh, but they never did and no one from the team did. But they are still delivering patches for the version that there is out there. Uh, version yeah, seven, they, still, they, still, they still support 7 because they yeah. have, you know, experiments that are still running on 7, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. LHC and stuff like that. So, I mean, 7... Seven is still supported. Um, I think they also recently 
were doing a lot of due diligence around CentOS Stream. And they so the tool supports going from 7 to CentOS Stream 8 as well. So if you want to go to stream, uh, that's supported too. Um, and that's wow. important because I think stream is going to continue to be, um, you know, a major, uh, it's going to continue to see a major adoption. Um, and I you know, so uh, yeah. And, and, and I mean, like it already is, I think. And, uh, you know, certainly the scientific community did a lot of due diligence around, you know, what their solution was. And they were kind of, uh, very uh, weary of what stream would look like and how it would work and how it would function and how timely updates would be and stuff like that. And I think, you know, they came back and said that, you know, it looks good to them, which is, which is something that a lot of us were saying, you know, that we don't, the, 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 I think the PR uh, damage around stream was a lot worse than it needed to be. And, right. uh, you know, this is it's it's something that we want to continue to support because it's something that is going to be a very important part of the ecosystem. And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, places that have done their due diligence and done their homework and kind of followed uh, the updates and stuff have come to see that, that, you know, it's not it's not as scary as people thought it would be. You know, right. it does have a it does have a shorter life cycle. Uh, mm -hmm. which may be a problem for a different reason, but in terms of, you know, the day-to-day -day kind of, you know, management of uh, the system and, and, and just, you know, how, how things are going to work there, I think people have come to realize that it's not as scary as what they first thought. I agree yeah. with you, actually, yeah. One question, um, you know, I, I probably should have looked this up before the show, but I, I, I noticed at the last minute that there's uh, CentOS Stream 8, there's CentOS Stream 9, and my understanding is that CentOS Stream is a rolling distribution, and when I think of a rolling distribution, I think of it as there's no new version, it just keeps rolling, but there is a new version, there's a CentOS Stream 9, so I think there is some kind of abstraction between 8 and 9 on that level. Possibly. Yeah, there is. So, so basically, the thing with Stream is that you're just getting the next like minor release sooner than you would have uh you know in the traditional rel centos model right mm -hmm. so it's not it's not really a rolling release even though it's it follows that mentality a little bit but not exactly um and i think people are are starting to realize that that hey this is actually a little bit more beneficial than before because you are getting those like point changes much sooner um, than you would have uh, in the traditional like CentOS Linux model, um, oh. and yeah, it's 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 still as of now, it's not the uh, like so a typical rolling release will be something where there is no like eight or nine, right? I mean, like right. eight or nine would be just basically some kind of abstraction or demarcation point where the team says like, hey, this is where this starts, this is where this ends, you know, and uh, this is not like that so far. So there's still going to be an eight. There's still going to be a nine because that's the way the rel development life cycle goes. And now mm. whether this is the beginning of Red Hat experimenting with the rolling release type of uh, 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 architecture is uh, remains to be seen. It may very well be because... You know, uh, people that run rolling release distributions, uh, there's definitely a lot of benefit there. And yep. it's there, you know, and, and, and people like those benefits. So it could, this could be the beginning of Red Hat kind of experimenting with what that would look like for Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Um, I guess we'll see in the next, you know, two, three years uh, whether that's true or not. Yeah. Um, I understand what you're saying there. Uh, but there will always be situations where the stability of the platform is what actually people wanted. And mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. These type of changes are not to their best interest. Um, yeah, and absolutely. Again, and again, uh, with the announcement that uh, Red Hat made, I don't, at least from my perspective, and this is just my personal opinion, I'm not, uh, I'm not, pulling any any information from anywhere. This is just my, my take on it. Um, 
the worst part of the announcement, first it wasn't then they didn't handle it the, the best way. I yes. guess we can all agree that they yeah. could yep. have done a better job both at communicating the change and give some heads up to the people, some time to prepare and all that. And I don't think the, the worst part of their announcement was even the, the change to CentOS Stream. It was actually no, I think it was the support, end of life. cutting yeah. support for CentOS yeah. 8 by eight years or nine years just out of the blue. And that's not something that people were very happy with. So I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and, they, and yeah, they and I should have handled that better. Yeah, and listen, I think that's where distros like Almalinux still um, fall in, you know, in 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 the landscape. I think there's still a tremendous, you know, let's call it appetite for like a long term, you know, let's call it uh, not rolling release, but <laughs> if you want to call it lazy release, uh, like I've seen them called distribution. Yeah, and and. Again, I think there's 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 a place for everything, and a lot of it uh, comes down to just what open source is all about, and that's giving users the choice to pick what they feel is best for them, uh, and that's just you know this is just another one of those options. Yep, and I think um, I actually I know this is not going to be a popular opinion, but it is an opinion of mine. I think rolling is actually a great idea for servers. And I know a lot of people are like, what? Um, but when people think of rolling, I think um, the elephant in the room is Arch Linux. I think I, I, I'm yeah. probably not yeah. wrong. When I say the word rolling Linux, most people think of Arch or they think Arch. of Manjaro, but probably Arch. And you know, I'm, I'm an Arch user, um, not full-time, but I, I, I like to use it. And there are some situations where, you know, packages are upgraded, something isn't working and you gotta kind of um, figure it out and fix it. But what I think a lot of people don't understand is that Arch Linux, um, their mentality is to not alter the packages as much as possible, to keep them as close to upstream as they can. So, um, for example, if you have a new version of GNOME in Ubuntu, then Ubuntu is going to tweak it. They're going to patch it. They're going to do whatever they need to do to make it work for the desktop. And then Arch Linux is like GNOME. And that you got GNOME now. Right. Um, they just right. give it to you, right? They just give you the package and they're done. It does get tested. I don't mean to say like they don't test it or anything like that, but they don't alter things to fit a certain paradigm because they're trying to keep it simple. So my opinion is that the unstable mentality of rolling is not because rolling is unstable or it has to be unstable. It's just that the way Arch Linux does it, which is not wrong because they have a clear mission statement of what they're trying to do. They're very clear about what they're trying to do. And there's certain expectations there. But if you have an enterprise distribution, I do think it's going to be a lot harder to make it stable, but not impossible. Um, it depends on how they go about it. How do they um, compile the packages? How do they handle any disruptive changes that come down the pipe? Those are the things that I think separate rolling from being able to work in enterprise or not. But um, it remains to be seen if someone's going to take that on and try to find a balance between stability and rolling, which would be uh, a fun challenge if anyone wants to take that on. Yeah, and I, I think Red Hat is uniquely positioned to be able to, uh, you know, to, to do that. So, yep. um, yeah. that, 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 that's, that's why I think this you know, the stream thing, maybe the beginning of them kind of experimenting with rolling releases. Um, mm -hmm. That's where kind of that, uh, uh, that, that, that's how that opinion was formed. Um, I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that will be tested the, the day that they introduce a change that breaks a module in Apache and breaks some web servers or some services somewhere right. just because one of the rolling changes was actually I don't want to say faulty because it doesn't have to be faulty, but the the new behavior is not compatible with what you had before. Right. The code right, was running there before. Yeah. So you're going to introduce a breaking change and it's going to be <laughs> like the, the Java release notes where somewhere around those 20,000 new lines of change log, there is something, oh, and now you can't use variables like these. You have to do it some other way. Right. And no one notices that before they deploy the new version and now something broke and you have to waste your time trying to fix it. Yep. And I think Red Hat is going to have their trial the day that they introduce one of those changes. And the thing with the, the older model was that you could be confident that, that that would not be the case. You had something that would be right. stable for quite some time and you wouldn't have to worry about that. If you have changes every single day or every other week or something like that, that's going to mean that 
sees that means we'll have more work to do in their hands. Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's definitely true as well. I think that is the challenge, right? We need to try to figure out a balance between the two. And, and, and yeah, that, that absolutely happens. I've even seen it on non-rolling distributions, not nearly yeah, as often, yeah, yeah. but it's like you have to fix something, but it's so true because you have to, you have this thing that happens, you have to address it and you have like a million messages scrolling through your terminal. And it's like, are you going to read each one? I mean, I don't right. like, does anybody? Right. <laughs> so going to trust um, that they know what they're doing. So in terms of Elevate, like how long did it take for something? Cause we're talking about all these abstractions between distributions. How long did it really take for this to come together? Um, it took a while. Uh, I would say probably close to, uh, you know, three months of work, let's say. Wow. Um, a big a big part of it was also um, interacting with the current uh, Leap team at Red Hat, making sure that kind of, you know, things were, number one, going to stay stable in, um, in terms of uh, how the tool is architected now. So that was a big part of it. Number two mm -hmm. was finding out if they, so we like to work upstream. Uh, we don't want to maintain a fork of something. Uh, it doesn't help us. It doesn't help the community. It doesn't help anyone else for there to be multiple versions of, you know, some kind of like uh, a chimmer tool that, <laughs> that we cobbled together. So we also wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, the, the maintainers there were open to uh, us patching it to do what we wanted it to do. Mm -hmm. um, so there was, there was some discussion about that on their IRC channel as well, kind of back and forth. And uh, then there was actually putting the work together. Uh, you know, the, the, the issue was also around the metadata set that there was no like freely available metadata set. So we cobbled, we started cobbling that together. And then we also found out that uh, someone at Oracle was working on something similar. And so we kind of teamed up around that and, and actually uh, had tip to Oracle for the nice contribution there because they uh, provided a lot of the initial metadata set. Um, and they they went through and did a lot of work to uh, to to put it together. Uh, there was significant engineering effort there. So uh, also on our end of trying to figure out, you know, the whole package evolution service thing because we wanted to make it something that was useful to the community and just basically dumping like a blob of metadata to people isn't really going to help us in the long term. And then we came up with the concept of, well, you know, let's turn this into a service where anyone can contribute metadata, anyone can extract like a subset of the metadata, and then also specifically anyone that's maintaining something, you know, uh, uh, let's say uh, a Cisco and NVIDIA or whoever it is, and they want to make sure that their stuff is supported for anyone doing a migration, they can come in and be part of that process as well. So it was kind of the work on all of that, plus thinking about how we can re-architect this to be a collaborative project and putting tooling together that works for everyone and then go, actually going ahead and testing it, right? Because we didn't want to just throw it out there and say, hey, you know, this is like super alpha and play with it because people are going to play with it and destroy stuff and we didn't want that <laughs> to happen. So, uh, you know, there was definitely a lot of QA work done there. Uh, <laughs> I spent more than a few days playing with stuff, uh, wow. trying to just kind of, you know, make sure the ins and outs were all there. And 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 listen, I, is, is it a perfect process? No, it's not a perfect process. Every system is different. You know, every system is configured differently. Every system is set up differently. Every system has its own applications and its own needs. And, and you know, it, it's this sounds like, very lovey-dovey, but every system is unique, Jay. And so <laughs> yeah, everyone, are, uh, <laughs> everyone, uh, everyone needs to make sure that they, uh, uh, you know, are taking precautions when doing something like this. But at the same time, uh, that's part of the greatness of this is that we can continue to tweak it to make sure that all those scenarios are covered, right? I certainly, yep. even if I take like a stock, CentOS box and just 
put an applicant, you know, change some configuration on it, and I ask you to do the same thing, odds are we're both going to do it in two different ways, you know? And yes. so now how do we make sure that when I migrate mine and you migrate yours, that both of them will be migrated safely? And uh, we have people that have come into the into our chat and, you know, brought up different things and said, hey, I found this or I tried this and it didn't work. And uh, what can I say? You know, we're just uh, we're we're uh, rolling along and trying to improve it as as time goes on. And that's that's the beauty of it. Right. Is that we made yep. it so that that's possible. And in three months, that's just amazing. Um in, in the whole chaotic nature of these migrations, I mean, I, I remember when I was younger watching Jurassic Park when it first came out, and there's a scene where Ian Malcolm drops a drop of water on Ellie's yeah. hand and it goes off one direction, drops another water, it goes off a different direction. Yeah. I didn't know that that scene was going to define my career because that is like the <laughs> like to my career. It's always like that, right? It is serious work. It is really like that. But, um, there's two things I really love about, actually three things I love about this tool. I mean, obviously I love the fact that it's making this easy on people, but what I love the most, number one is a community mindset because, um, you know, other people out there might not help the other distribution. And I think the message you're sending is clear. Um, this is all Linux, your Oracle Linux, we're gonna help you out. We're gonna team up, we're gonna work together and solve this problem together. We're not competing with you, we're just gonna do what we do. We love software, we love open source, we're gonna get this done, we're gonna work together, build this community. Um, that's sending a powerful message out there um, that I think is very important. But the other message I feel like this is sending is that um, as I was talking about earlier, it's so common um, administrators have this mindset where that's just the way it is. This is a hard process. There's no other way to fix it. We just got to spend these days migrating. We have to spend these days doing X, doing Y. And I think all too often people just accept that this is challenging and it's always going to be challenging. And they don't think about it like, could I figure out a way to make this easy for everyone? Could I figure out a way to make this not a pain in the butt? Yeah. Um, you know, and I feel like that message is super important because um, this whole project, making this thing easier on people could like, you know, influence someone else that is grumbling about a completely unrelated process. Wow, they solved that problem. Maybe I should try to solve this problem too. Right. And then maybe someday this will lead to like this um, renaissance where things aren't as, you know, much of a pain as they used to be. Mm -hmm. I can yeah. only dream. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Get the, you get a pretty bleak outlook on the on the whole job after a few years and you think that, yeah, this is yep. never going to change. Things will always <laughs> be like this. And it's probably one of the reasons why we're still rebooting for patches and why you still have to struggle selecting your audio sources when you want to start recording. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, it's these types, it's this types of, of annoyances that we can't seem to get rid of that should have been swept away a long time ago. Yeah, I and I totally agree. Yeah, yeah, I uh, that was part of the uh, you know, I, so I, that's those are two of the I guess biggest philosophies that we kind of subscribe to um, for Alma Linux. The project is number one uh, the the community and collaboration aspect. I think you know that we want to create a community that is very open, that is very welcoming that is very uh, inclusive, that, uh, you know, that we, we try to think of how to tear boundaries down, not how to put them up. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that's, I, I think that a lot of times we kind of forget that uh, by nature of, you know, the work we do and kind of the history of the whole open source movement, right? And, and sometimes we just kind of like lose sight of the human element of it. Right. Um, and so uh, th 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 this is both the human element and the technical element of it, which is, you know, that just kind of how can we make this something that's useful for everyone at large? How can we get the most possible people involved? How can we make this a place where, you know, anyone can come and kind of work and learn and grow? Um, so that's that's definitely part of our philosophy. And the second part of the philosophy is also, you know, just trying to help shift the paradigm and creative problem solving. You know, I think yep. the one thing, the one uh, one excellent thing that came out of Red Hat Red Hat's announcement 
is that uh, there's been a lot of uh, there's like been an infusion of uh, really awesome people into the uh, enterprise Linux community now, whether it's in our community, whether whether it's in the other communities. But a lot of people that were not kind of involved before have now suddenly become involved and have become engaged. And that's very, very important. And I think that's, you know, th that's the key ingredient for any ecosystem, uh, let alone ours. And I'm just glad to see that happening. And, you know, part of, part of what we kind of want to try to support is now that there are more people here and now that, you know, Red Hat essentially shifted the paradigm. So how can we keep shifting the paradigm ourselves? Like what else can we do for the community Right, uh, not just for Red Hat, but for the community at large, uh, that can, that can, you know, maybe do some interesting things, solve some interesting problems, take things in different directions, maybe experiment a little bit. Now, I'm not going to say all of the experiments are going to be successes. I'm sure we're going to have our failures too, but uh, you know, we're going to learn from them and we're going to keep going. And I think that's what that's what we're all about. That was kind of like the driving. Uh, uh, soul behind why we wanted to put the Elevate project together. And I think that, you know, so far uh, the reception has been awesome and it showed us that, you know, we're definitely on the, on the right trajectory and we have the right, <laughs> the right philosophy. You know, a, a lot, uh, when, when we were talking about it with a lot of people uh, early on, a lot of people just basically said like, you're nuts, you <laughs> know, like this is, that's walled garden. Leave it to the walled garden. Let them take care of it. Like there's no, don't muck with these things. Uh, you know, and, and since then, like, it's just been such an awesome reception of people saying like, wow, you know, like, this is great. It's great that this is open to everybody. It's great that this is something that's, that's useful and that's trying to draw people into and uh, that's trying to solve like real world problems. You know, people have thousands of servers and, you know, re-imaging thousands of servers is just not a possibility. But if right. we can put together a tool where they can run, you know, on the first, let's say, five servers and figure out what the issues are, but then they can fix those issues and then they can run through the other, you know, 995 and just get them, you know, migrated. Um, it, it really, it, it's, it's a tremendously helpful thing um, for someone in that situation. And I think it's tremendously helpful to everyone in general because of the security aspect, which is something that, you know, is, is not, uh, is not lost on us too, is that, you right. know, distributions do go end of life. And if you're not up to date and if you fall out of compliance and if you have security holes, you know, hackers are out there looking for stuff to exploit and they're going to find it. Uh, yes, so whatever will. we can, whatever our tiny contribution can be to mitigating that, uh, is something that, we feel is very important to contribute. Yeah, and I'm going to do my shameless plug right now. Just because the system <laughs> goes end of life doesn't mean that the hackers go end of life as well. They will keep looking for ways to, to break in. So if you're going to be stuck with CentOS 8 past December 31st, take a look at TaxCare's end of life service. We will keep you supported. We will keep providing you with security updates until you make up your mind and find out to which distro you want to migrate to. And that ends the shameless plug. Apologies for that. I think it's great. I, I mean, that that's really going to help a lot of people because yeah. that's a big pain point. And, um, you know, as much as I love working in IT and I so love it, it's just it's hard sometimes because you do have these challenges that you have to face. But you feel so good after you win, right? You have this really horrible, impossible situation. And just like you were saying, you know, people might say, well, you're crazy for trying to take this on. Um, was there ever any really good invention that didn't start with people saying that? So I can't think of any. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Yep. Um, so there you go. I think that's great. I wish you the best. I can't wait to see what's next and how this evolves and how your impact on the community, well, impacts the community. That's um, it's just so many great things I'm hearing. And I do agree you're going in the right direction. Just keep going in that direction as you already are. And um, I'm going to keep my eyes on everything and just see what you guys are up to. Yeah. And I'll, I'll put a call out there to anyone that's watching or listening. Uh, if you want to be a part of it, uh, we definitely... Would love to have you, and we need you. So yep. you know, if, the, if if this is something that you're interested in, uh, solving problems, 
making life easier, uh, learning, growing, uh, figuring things out, and just working with other like awesome people. I think our community now, it's just the people in there are awesome. I mean, I I, yep. I I don't have another word to describe. Just you know, they're they're just awesome. And you know, if this is something that you're interested in, uh, we'd love to have your eyes on it, and we'd love to you know help uh, figure out whatever needs are pressing to you and help you uh, become a contributor. If you'd love to contribute, you know, the, the best and kind of least friction would be to just uh, chat.almalinux.org. It'll drop you mm -hmm. into the main channel and just introduce yourself, say hi, and then we can go from there. Awesome. I hope everyone does that. that that's a great idea to get involved and you know, if nothing else, just have a discussion, you know, just get to know yeah. people in the community and understand what they're working on and, you know, just network. And uh, when you find your niche or something that uh, you want to work on, you can uh, definitely dive in and help out with that. Um, and you, I want to stress, you don't have to be a developer for this. You don't have to be a developer no. because yeah. you can know on documentation, um, testing, because sometimes I go into chat rooms for distributions and there's a call for people to test the ISO images. Can you throw this on a VM for me and let me know yeah. if it boots or something as simple yeah. as that? So um, there's definitely a lot of great ways to help out. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, you don't have to be a developer. If by chance you're listening to this and you're not a developer and want to become a developer, um, you know, we're... We're all uh, for helping uh, people uh, via mentoring and things like that. So if you want to gain experience in something and just need, you know, a place to play, uh, <laughs> come down, come on down. Sounds fun. Yeah. Awesome. If it wasn't fun, we wouldn't be doing it. That's true. That is so true. There's so much passion in the community. I think that's what drives it. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, and Zhao, as always, it's a, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. And um, this was a fun episode. Yes, it was. Thanks for having me again, Jake. Uh, thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me too. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. See you guys next time. Bye.